this is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Off the Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. podcast. Hello, and welcome back to London is Blue, coming to you uh, a slightly different time to normal this week because the women had a Thursday game. So we're here to talk through Chelsea women versus Spurs. You're not deja vuing. We did play them again within five days or whatever it was. And we have also had like a crazy news day at the club as well. So we'll be going through that. Um, if you're a bit surprised why it's my voice doing this, uh, Abdullah's out, Nick's out. So I don't know what choice host I am about 20th choice host. But yeah, it's me, Jesse here hosting today. But I have two guests, that means, um, which is exciting. So first up, joined by Om, who's been on the podcast a couple of times before, women's football writer and analyst. Om, how's it going? Doing good. Glad to be on. I think every time I've been on, Chelsea have won, right? So I, I think I'm a, I'm a good omen. Yeah, I mean, I will say we do tend to win quite a lot. So, <laughs> so um, but yeah, we'll have you on every week if that's what it, if that's what it takes. Um, and also joined by Catherine Batty, women's football correspondent for the Daily Mail, getting her first uh, cap on the podcast. Catherine, thank you for, for joining us. Yeah, no, you're welcome. Uh, delighted to make my debut at the, at the same time you're making your debut as host as well. So uh, it's yeah. a momentous occasion <laughs> for both of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, I just wanted as well, I thought it, this would be a good chance for you to plug the piece you and Abdullah did on, on Hedvig Lindahl. I thought that might be of interest to listeners of London is Blue. So do you want to talk about that quickly? Yeah, I mean, it was it was fantastic. I mean, I think Hedvig Lindahl is the type of player that everyone dreams to interview, loves to talk, super candid about everything that she says. I mean, the level of detail that she went into about some of, some of the techniques that she uses and what she does, like it almost felt like she was giving too much away, but that's the brilliant thing about her. So yeah, it's, it's an interview on the, like the technical nature of goalkeeping and what you do in very particular situations, right? Like she talked about how she judges the flight of crosses, how she saves headers, how, how she positions herself on corner kicks, right? With her feet and stuff like that. So she went super, super into detail. And I think a side of the game that fans know the least about, to be honest, goalkeeping. So if that interests people, check that out. You can find it on my Twitter. You can find it on Abdullah's Twitter. You can find it on my Substack. It's great stuff. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really, really good read. And I think even if, you don't normally pay attention to the the tactical side of the game. I think what's so amazing about the way Lindell speaks in the piece is it's really like clear and it's a really actually good introduction to that kind of element of, of goalkeeping. So yeah, totally recommend that. Um, but let's get into the episode itself. Uh, we are going to start off with some sad news, really, uh, at the top of the show, which is that Jisoo Yun announced today that, that she'll be leaving the club after eight years. So we're going to talk a bit, bit about that, her impact, what that kind of means for the team. Uh, then we're going to chat through the, the actual game that we played last night, even though it feels like a million years ago at this point. Um, and then finally, we'll have a bit of chat around Sam Kerr, who was announced as the Football Writers Association Player of the Year uh, this morning too. So yeah, starting off with Jisoyeon, um, eight years at the club, um, 208 appearances, 68 goals, five WSLs, two FA Cups, two Conti Cups, and she could still win another WSL trophy and another FA Cup trophy. Uh, Catherine, how how would you kind of sum up Jisoyeon's legacy in, in at Chelsea and in the WSL as a whole? I mean, Emma Hayes described her earlier as, I think, the best international player to have ever played in the WSL. And I think that's probably a fair shout. I mean, she came, she's gone, she's been here since, you know, Chelsea were part-time, seen the club go through to professional and obviously kind of, you know, dominate in the last few years. And um, she's been a massive part of the, the journey of the club in the last decade, um, as much as, you know, Emma Hayes has. And, um, you know, as, you know, Emma was saying earlier as well, you know, there's, there's no other player out there like her, you know, she's, she's irreplaceable. You can't go and get another Jisoo Young. And, um, you know, it's been amazing to kind of watch her in the WSL. Um, as I say, I've been one of the, probably, probably even underrated in, in some ways. I think maybe she, at times she hasn't got the credit she deserves because she kind of goes about her business. And sometimes you don't always notice the things that she, she does in games. Um, but she's been hugely influential and, um, you know, one of my colleagues at the, at the Daily Mail, Ian Herbert, always called her a magician 
and um, I think that's probably a, a fair way to kind of describe how, how she plays the game. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if, you know, sometimes she's lost that credit because she almost joined so early. She's felt like like such a fixture within the Chelsea team and, you know, messages on Twitter from Fran Kirby saying the best player I've ever had the privilege of playing with, uh, absolute legend of a personal legend of a blue, Beth England saying no one can fill the hole you will leave at this club. You're one of the best in the world and it's an honour and privilege to have played alongside you, my friends. Um, I think the mood among Chelsea fans seems mainly to be that it was probably the right time for her to move on as, as you know, kind of sad as it is to see it, see when that happens to a player. Um, what do you think this kind of means for Chelsea's squad? Does it like tell us anything about how Hayes wants her midfield to look like next year, for example? I don't know if it necessarily does other than that the Aaron Cuthbert experiment in midfield probably looks like the long-term solution for Chelsea. I mean, people were talking about Jesse Fleming a lot at the beginning of the year, and it turned out pretty quickly that Emma Hayes sees her as more like an attacking midfielder inside forward, someone who can do a lot of different things from a more advanced position. And I think the question was for, for me and a lot of people was, well, if G is not playing, whether, whether that's because she's you know abroad playing in an in a international competition, she's injured or she's being rotated out, what does the midfield look like? And I think for Chelsea, a lot of the season, I, I talked about it earlier when I was on a podcast with the 4-4-2 and, and all those changes, Chelsea struggled for control in midfield. And I don't know if that has been fully answered throughout this season, because I think no one in the squad gives control like G gave control for Chelsea. But I do think that with Aaron Cuthbert, we'll probably talk about her performance um, versus Spurs and just how good she was. I think Hayes pre- feels pretty confident that she has like starting players she can rely on in the center of the park. But I do think Chelsea lose something here that just can't really be replaced by anyone unless they go out in the transfer market. But as Catherine was saying, like, it's not that easy, right? Like you're not going to get that level of player, but there probably is some, some type of profile, some type of advanced playmaker controller type that Chelsea might want to look at unless, I don't know, Hayes is comfortable with what she has and wants to move in a little bit of a different direction without Chelsea play. Yeah, I think it is, she is such a unique kind of player. She's almost like the kind of player it feels almost hard to scout for in some ways because so much of what she does is is just incredibly creative and, and it feels like Maybe that's why also she doesn't get the same kind of notice as other players. You know, she's not like a goal scorer. She's not necessarily someone who's always doing like outrageous skill either. She's just, you know, um, a great reader of the game, I think. Uh, Kieran Doyle tweeted saying, you know, maybe the most creative passer I've ever seen. And I'd have to agree. Some of the stuff that she sees on the football pitch is just absolutely amazing. Um, I will always love her for scoring the FA Cup winning goal in 2015, which is like still one of my favourite moments of of ever being a Chelsea fan. So, yeah, I think it will be a big loss for the club. But ultimately, I think it's great to be able to give her a send off and hopefully see her leave with two two extra trophies. Um, So, yeah. just a bit on GC on there. We're going to take a quick ad break now. And when we come back, we'll get into the game itself. So be right back. All right. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focused on our macros with protein, carbs, and, and fat. And now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable, resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy recovery focus and aging all of the things again i do it it's easy it's fast it's quick uh throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work drink it 
it it goes down quickly uh and like i said you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily uh, but hey don't listen to me athletic greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews it's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as tim Ferriss and michael gervais so right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition it's just one scoop and a cup of water every day that's it no need for a million different pills supplements to look out for your gut health to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Just a couple of reminders, guys. We're covering the women's team every week here. It's really getting to crunch time now. We have three matches left of the season, two in the WSL and an FA Cup final to play. So make sure you're here catching up with us. It's really exciting and it could be a really, really great end of the season. Uh, if you're enjoying what we're doing, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you want to hear more about what's going on with the women's team, I'm doing immediate post-match reaction to all of our games on Patreon. So you can go over there and find that. There was a very hyperactive, noisy on-train review from me last week after uh, this uh, yesterday after I left the ground. So yeah, uh, if you want if you want more of this stuff, uh, that's where you, that's where you can head. Um, so let's kick off with our free word match review. On do you have a, a free word match review from from yesterday's game? Yeah, I'd say ultimately pretty comfortable. I, I mean, I know that it was 1-1 for like the briefest second and a margin of a one goal win isn't that massive, but 24 shots to two, like, I mean, I think it could have been a lot more for Chelsea. And I think for, I'd say 95% of this game, Chelsea were in pretty clear control of everything. Yeah, I think in the cold light of day i agree but it definitely didn't feel like that for large portions of the the second half last night um catherine what about you um i was gonna go with something like sh champagne on ice just because um i think you know emma hayes made a comment after the first one against tottenham about when they were behind everyone had put the champagne on ice for the other team from north london and i think that getting getting through these two games against tottenham actually were I know there's the last game against Man United, which will, which will be tough as well. But these back-to-back -back games felt like really significant in the in the last running. And if Chelsea could get through them, put them in a really good position for you know going on to to win the title. So I feel like that was a really big hurdle that they've got over now, and it's just about getting to to the rest of the the end of the line. Yeah, I agree. I think lots of people looked at these kind of two matches as as places to slip up, um, not necessarily because. Birmingham and United won't have their own challenges, but just because I think they still felt like far enough from the end of the season that they could cause an issue. Whereas I feel like now it really feels like it's in our sights. Um, my three word match review is, is two more wins um, because yeah, exactly. It's 180 more minutes of football to win the league for a third consecutive time. And I think, you know, what we've seen with this squad is that when they really get down to it, they can have some laser focus. You know, this is the second year in a row where the league's probably going to go down to the last day, but we've kind of strung together the wins to, to get us over the line, even when, you know, obviously last year City were potentially waiting for us to slip up and, and this year it's Arsenal. So just to run through the match details, yep, we were playing Tottenham again um, yesterday on Thursday, the 28th of April at Kings Meadow in the WSL. Uh, we won 2-1 goals from Beth England and Sam Kerr, who scored 18 seconds, I believe, after Keris Harrop uh, equalised for Spurs. We basically played a very similar team to what we ended the uh, game on Sunday with. So Zatira Musovic in goal, a back four of Jess Carter, Millie Bright, Magda Eriksson and John Anderson. Then we had Sophie Ingle and Erin Cuthbert uh, in midfield with Peniela Harder on the right and Guru Wrighton on the left, and then Sam Kerr and Beth England up front. Uh, Catherine, what did you kind of make of the, the lineup when it came out? Yeah, interesting to, to see Beth England start again. Obviously, she was unfortunate having to be withdrawn in that the first game against Tottenham with the red card. And it feels like she's just kind of had 
a lot of setbacks this season in terms of injuries, COVID, and, um, you know, she gets into a bit of form and then she has to drop out and then she has to be subbed because of a, the goalkeeper being uh, sent off. So I was really pleased to see her back in the starting eleven and also get on the score sheet early on as well. And I think, to be fair, um, we know how big of a player she's been for Chelsea in the last sort of few years, but maybe more recently there's been kind of more talk about Sam Kerr and Kirby and Harder and, and maybe it's been difficult for Beth Kahn having to come off the bench, but... In these last few months since she's come back from injury, she has been hugely important and um, has weighed in with some important goals as well. Um, much kind of what you would expect from Tottenham, I, I think they're probably, without wanting to be sound disrespectful, they're a predictable team in terms of you, you know what you're going to get. You know they're going to kind of set up that bank of uh, defenders and just really kind of frustrate you. And um, I think they probably did it better in the first game. Obviously, they had a fair advantage for 60 minutes and... As we were saying earlier, I think you know Chelsea could have had, had more goals, um, you know, last night. But um, you know, in the end, two was enough, and um, yeah, you know, solid, comfortable performance, really. Yeah, I was really surprised that um, Sumanan had dropped to the bench because I thought she was uh, for Spurs because I thought she was really impressive on Sunday and did a lot to disrupt our midfield. And I actually thought the same thing happened again l- last night when she came on. Um, I don't know whether that's because Rahan Skinner has an eye on the rest of their their games. Tottenham are, I guess, in kind of a weird position where they can kind of be kingmakers in the title race because they've obviously still got to go to Arsenal next week without it really mattering for them. But I guess they also want to finish as, as high as they can, having kind of slipped out of those Champions League spots. Uh, but yeah, just looking at some of the stats, as Om kind of hinted at in his three-word match review, 24 shots to Tottenham's two, nine on target to their two on target. 57% possession to their 43%, um, 423 passes to their 335, an XG of 2.8 to Spurs' 0.1. Uh, Om, do you feel like these numbers kind of show what you're saying, like that the Chelsea were, were more dominant than maybe the, the scoreline suggested? Yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for the defending on that set piece, which was was something i i don't think spurs should have scored right i mean it should and the score line probably should should have been should have reflected an easier match for chelsea so yeah i think this is one of the easier ones to analyze in that i think that three points was was always on the cards here yeah i mean i think as i say yeah said when you when you look at it in context that that feels fair and i think definitely watching back some of the chances that we had uh, from a better angle today, because it felt like in the first half, I was at the opposite end of the ground and everything was in that penalty box and I had no real idea what was going on at all. Uh, yeah, that, that maybe, you know, we should have put away a couple more goals, but the, you know, the three points is what matters. And I think, especially towards the end of that second half, we did feel like we'd kind of rested back control. Uh, just a couple of other stats I enjoyed. Sam Kerr has scored in seven successive Chelsea matches, netting nine goals in that run. Also scored in a pair of Australia friendlies in the middle of that for 12 in nine. Hasn't failed to bag since February. That's uh, from Chelsea Youth. And that is like, a, literally, she's on a ridiculous goal scoring form. Uh, and from Asif Burren, Keris Harps goal for Spurs was the first Chelsea conceded at home in 726 minutes of Barclays WSL football at Kings Meadow. Um, I don't always go in for like home and away stats because I'm never sure how much difference I really believe it makes, especially when you're kind of playing at this level. But Definitely, we've seen to have made Kings Meadow a bit more of a fortress ever since, I guess, that um, 3-3 against Wolfsburg, which was maybe the most scarring game at Kings Meadow this season anyway. So there we go. Uh, let's get into the game itself. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good start uh, to the first half. I think we played a lot quicker than we did in Sunday's game. I think that was maybe um, playing on a better pitch coming through there. Um, but on what did you kind of think of the that kind of first, 15, 20 minute spell leading up to, to Beth's goal? Well, I, I initially thought Chelsea were playing in a 3 4 3. Um, I, I, I guess you could blame the, the camera angle, or, which, is, which is always kind of tough. But I think there's always a risk of falling into a trap when you're analyzing a game, is you see something you think exists, and then your mind does an amazing job of tricking you into seeing that. I mean, it's abstract, right? You can draw lines anywhere you want all over the pitch, but about 20 minutes in, I was like, wait a second, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch. And this is why you should always rewatch no matter how good you think you are. 
But yeah, it was it was a four four two, a pretty obvious one. There were some back three looks in possession, obviously when Yona would drop off far side or Jess would come come and drop off. But it was mostly a four four two with maybe the one nebulous role being harder coming inside quite a bit, which could make it look like she was playing in behind England and Kerr. And I I think you're right about the pace of play. I mean, within the first 30 seconds, Chelsea had a shot on target, right? Jess Carter puts a ball in the box. Kara puts a shot on goal. And I think the key here for Chelsea was how they were able to exploit the channels. And, and that always tends to be Chelsea's primary way of getting in behind the team, regardless of what our formation they play. And I think the interesting thing about Spurs was, yes, they were compact. They were looking to be the conservative side, but they weren't necessarily right from the off sinking up to players a little bit. And I do think that actually maybe hurt them in the sense that their fullback would get drawn forward quite a bit to Chelsea's fullback. And that was what Chelsea were really waiting for. And that opened up the channel. It drew the wide center back wide. And then someone like England, especially in the beginning of that game, was able to make the run in between the center backs, get into the through ball in the channel, work something down the left-hand side and put a cross into the box, right? And then it just got more fluid you know, the interchanges got better and better as the half progressed, right? Brighton started to come inside. Yona started to bomb on. And Spurs just were never really able to find a way to handle that. And it, it looked really impressive in the opening minutes. And, you know, right from right from the off, I was like, well, this looks pretty good from Chelsea. And I don't know how Spurs are going to hold on. Yeah, I think the, the point about harder tucking side, that was my worry about when this formation came out seeing it as a 4-4-2 was I was like there is no way harder is just gonna stay in that like right wing position uh, I couldn't really believe that um, that was gonna happen and and that's how it kind of went on and I was worried that Spurs, Spurs especially with their kind of wing backs that they'd be able to really push on and, and put a lot of pressure on Jess Carter but I think ultimately they were almost left with so much to do by harder drifting that the reality of that never actually came to fruition um and we kind of eventually turned that early pressure into a lead uh off a uh, beth england header from a corner that probably shouldn't have been given but given what else wasn't given in the rest of the game uh, i'll take it um and that was beth england's eighth goal of the season which puts her fifth on on the top scorers of, across the whole season which is kind of remarkable given how little she's played Catherine I know you kind of touched on on Beth earlier but she's in a bit of a weird position isn't she right like she's kind of come back into the team she's now scoring a lot you're like great this is like great for her heading into the Euros she scored a lot more goals than Ellen White has on a lot less game time um what are you kind of making of her resurgence in this Chelsea team yeah, I think, I think firstly, it's great to see because there was obviously a little bit of talk earlier in the season as to was she going to leave? Was she going to try and go on loan to get more game time? Obviously, with the Euros in mind. But I think she's proven that, you know, she can still have a big role to play in this team. Obviously, Fran Kirby, you know, not being available at the minute means there's kind of another attacking position available because we did see, obviously, that her Kirby harder kind of front free for quite a while, which meant, obviously, Beth was kind of limited to substitute appearances but obviously Harder's had injury issues as well so we've actually seen Beth and Sam kind of interact as a front two a little bit more which is nice because we, we saw it very briefly when Sam first came to England and when you know Beth was in that really good run of form but then obviously the season got cancelled and it restarted and then Harder was there and then Kirby and it was sort of it's we've not really seen England and Kerr kind of play as a front two very often and I think actually it works quite well and in terms of you know going to the Euros I suppose she probably had to make sure she will get in the squad, which I think she will. Um, but obviously with, without playing and not scoring, there's maybe always a question mark. But I think, you know, her form over the last few months, she will be in that squad barring any injuries. And then it's it's a case of, you know, putting Ellen White under pressure. I mean, it's very hard to kind of shift her out of that starting eleven just because of her record for England. I, I, I don't think Serena will mind too much if Ellen's not kind of top scorer in the WSL. It's kind of international football can be a bit different but having Beth in great form as well as someone to either bring off the bench or, or even play alongside Ellen is is great so you know brilliant that she's in good form and um, as I say taking the chances that she has brilliant cross from from Yona for, for the goal and uh, fantastic header. Yeah I agree I don't think I think Beth England could have scored 
the same number of goals as Sam Kerr this season. I don't think she'd necessarily displace Ellen White in that England starting eleven. Whether that's a good thing is another question entirely. But uh, yeah, I think it's great to see see her coming into form. And yeah, lovely lovely ball from Jonna, who's you know racking up the assists before she heads uh, heads off to Sweden, um, which is nice to see. And also, I think the other thing with Beth, which always really impresses me, which isn't necessarily about her, but I think it's huge credit to Sam Kerr that it feels like whoever Sam Kerr plays with, she looks good with. And I think that's just again testament to to what a player she is, uh, rather than just a just a goal scorer. Um, couple of penalty shouts in the game that I'm just going to kind of run through. You know, I'm don't love like VAR or VAR on the WSL chat, but um, there was a shout for handball which I totally missed because again I was at the other end of the the ground. But it does feel pretty blatant and I feel like it doesn't matter to me because we won um but if we hadn't won I would have been replaying that and Leah Williamson and being like what on earth did we do to uh to not get these decisions but ultimately I think this stuff does tend to even out over the season and yeah as I say if you if you win it doesn't really matter um but there was a point where it looked like we weren't going to win um I thought this was a really good header from Harrop to equalise. Um, it sounds like you just think it was rubbish defending. Um, it kind of came off a off a nowhere, off a, a nowhere free kick. But um, yeah, Om, um, do you want to do you want to run us through that equaliser? Well, I I think it was a really good header. I I don't want to take that away. I think the confusing thing is how she was so free, right? I mean, it just looked like Chelsea weren't expecting it, right? Like they had their line of line of players all marking the, the Spurs attackers who were packed kind of near the penalty area and to the side of it. And Harrop was just able to really, it didn't even look like she intended to do that in the first place, which was maybe why there was no one marking her. They just kind of considered her to be an option to play short, or maybe she was there for a rest defense or something like that. And she just kind of waltzes into the area and there was no one there who was like, there was no free Chelsea player essentially who should have gone with her. I, I don't know if you can say that Chelsea should have anticipated this specific routine, right? It's not like they would have seen the playbook and they would have been able to read it in advance. But usually you want some kind of player who's, who's a spare player around that area who can pick up someone who's arriving late like that. And there just was no one. It was, it, was, it was a really finish. The problem was that she was free. And I don't imagine Emma Hayes was uh, was happy to see that. Yeah, that's that's probably fair. And, you know, Spurs do kind of pride themselves on their, their set-piece routines. We saw quite a lot of them on, on Sunday. And uh, I think, actually, I saw Opta didn't register the goal on Sunday as from a set-piece. I don't know whether that's because it was an own goal, but this one definitely was. Um, and so... That was either our first or second goals conceded from set piece. So Rahan Skinner has really got the, the mark of us when it comes to her own set piece design. Uh, but Spurs didn't have long to celebrate because within 18 seconds, uh, Sam Kerr scored. Uh, it's a great header from Sam. She got a lot of plaudits in this game, but really this whole goal was vanilla harder. Catherine, please just wax lyrical on how ridiculously good this goal was. Oh, I mean, she, she's, yeah, ridiculous, I think is a great word um, to describe harder at times, you know. We've seen her produce skill like that before, but I mean, to do it sort of so quickly after you've just conceded the goal and she's just so cool. And, you know, like, I just want to be as cool as Peniel Harder. There's a way she just flicks it around the corner, past the defender, crosses it in, um, cool as you like. And, yeah, I mean, you know, the skill for the goal was was just brilliant. And um, as I say, a brilliant reaction from just conceding the goal to go up the other end immediately and then uh, go and score and, and and put themselves in front again. But um, that's almost what Chelsea have missed when Hard has not been, been playing at times. I think we know she's, as I said, you know, struggled with injuries a little bit, um, but she does bring that kind of special sort of different thing that Chelsea don't have when she's not in the team. And um, incredibly skillful player, and yeah, um, just a brilliant goal all round. Yeah, I definitely think that's right. I think you know, there's a lot of very talented players in this side. We've talked about, uh, you know, Jiso Young's like creativity. Obviously, we're kind of missing Fran at the moment, but she's she's a player who's who's very creative. But harder, it does just feel like she does something totally different at times. Um, um, I don't know. I don't know if you want to add anything on that goal. Yeah, I think this is the value of uh, Harder coming inside. 
like you were kind of talking about Jesse, maybe that being a worry for Chelsea. I think there was a risk of it being really difficult for Chelsea to break down Spurs had they played with really, really wide wingers, given that it was easy for, um, it would have been easy for, for Spurs to kind of like force crosses in from bad positions and be able to defend it rather easily. And so I think Harder provided that a bit more dynamism, a bit more incisiveness in build-up, right? She receives in the half space, is able to make that flick and then play a ball from a better position to, to Kerr in the box. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think at that point, I kind of felt like, great, we were just going to kick on and score a, a ton of goals. Obviously, at halftime went immediately after that. Um, but then kind of when we came out in the second half, it felt like... I don't know. It was like, I don't know whether it was just that we switched off a bit. Spurs kind of switched to back four. They brought Sumanen on and it, they kind of started overwhelming Chelsea again. Uh, Emma basically said to Sky afterwards that I thought that, that we were tired in the second half. I mean, that kind of makes sense. We did also play 60 minutes with 10 players. Um, we should have finished the game off in the first half. So to concede a goal like we did, I think we switched off for a minute. But to get back to it like we did so quickly, it was great character from the team. Catherine, what did you kind of make of the second half? Did you feel like Chelsea like did just look tired? Um, yeah, what what were your kind of thoughts as that was going on? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit tired. Um, again, I still think there was there was chances to make it a little bit uh, the scoreline a little bit safer, which obviously weren't taken. Another penalty appeal as well, um, but I think they just got the job done. It was just about kind of you never really felt like they were going to concede I know maybe as Chelsea fans you probably don't kind of see it like that but um like you know it was the same in the you know the first game against Tottenham even when they had were down to 10 players Tottenham weren't really kind of going all guns blazing and throwing everyone forward and it wasn't like they were launching balls into the box and it was you know all kind of backs against the wall it just sort of felt quite comfortable and um yeah maybe Chelsea a little bit tired with the, the backlog of games that they've had in recent weeks, um, there were a couple of chances to go and get a third goal, but in the end, two was enough. And like I say, I think they were so comfortable in the fact that they probably didn't feel Tottenham were going to score either. Um, and they kind of felt comfortable enough with that one goal lead as well. Um, so, yeah, maybe a little bit of tiredness creeping in. Um, maybe, you know, having that game against Birmingham on Sunday at a later kickoff might help get a little list a few more hours rest than it would have been if it was on a 12.30 or on a, on a Saturday or something like that. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there was maybe a 15-minute period where it felt like we were getting overrun, although, as you kind of said, Spurs didn't have loads of or even any chances. But I think having seen the first goal seemingly come out of, like, quite an innocuous free kick, that was definitely what was leaving me being like, this could come from anywhere and I would really like us just to wrap it up. Also, from a purely selfish perspective, I wanted to get the 10 to 10 train and I really wanted to be able to leave like a couple of minutes early. Didn't happen. Did make the train though. I just ran. Um, <laughs> so that was my my pure selfish uh, reasons for us wanting to score. Um, I think Hayes said also on Sky, I don't have the exact quote here, but, but basically she felt like when she brought Neve Charles on and we we kind of went to her back three, that shored us up a bit more and, and helped us rest back control. And that, that definitely felt true. I think I think it was also maybe a case of fresh legs from Neve as well. You know, she 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 had a really good cameo actually. Um, but I guess it kind of felt like that whole period of time harked back to a problem that's been recurring throughout this season, which is about the midfield having control. We've kind of touched on it already in this podcast, but um, I just wanted to get like some more of your thoughts around what needs to happen here to, to shore this up more. Is it tactical? Is it personnel? Like, is it a bit of both? What, what do you think is going on here? Yeah. So I, I think it's, I think it's a bit of both. I think personnel wise, like, so I think Aaron Cuthbert was brilliant in this game. Like, I, I don't, we haven't really talked about her, um, but she was all action. She nearly scorched post defensive. She was all over the place. She was a huge part of the press to stop Spurs from even playing out. Um, but her profile is very much box to box, high tempo, that sort of thing. And I think there was a nice balance today with how it worked with Ingle. And there was a high tempo play, but Chelsea were always in control, generally on the ground, going long when they needed to. But there are certain situations, especially when the opposition presses or tries to up the tempo, 
where at times this season I felt like, okay, Chelsea really missed Ji Soyeon. And that was especially apparent in the 4-4-2, like just an idea that Chelsea could use an extra body and build up to find the, find the free player, not be forced into rushing it. And it's, it's a bit tricky. I think, I, I, I think there's only so much haste can do when she's losing a player like that when her profiles in midfield, her best profiles, like a faster game, like a more intense game. But there have also been plenty of times this season where Hayes was kind of just content to say, okay, in response, we're going to go long. We're going to make it messy. And my thing with her is like, I'd always, I'm always just like, you know, maybe her to go 10% more towards control. I think that's probably a very, a very typical perspective of someone who watches the Spanish league a lot. Probably, I don't know how many Chelsea fans agree with that, but I think there are occasions where it could really help Chelsea, especially from a defensive perspective. They were to just slow it down a little bit, put an extra player in midfield, which I was surprised by because given what we saw last season with the 4-3-3, I thought that was just, that was my impression. I thought this was just how Hayes was going to move forward, but it all kind of changed the 3-4-3 not working out. And Hayes was just like, okay, I need to focus on defensive stability. She went to the 4-4-2 and that's just kind of been what Chelsea have gone with since. So I'll be interested. It'll be interesting to see how they evolve going forward into next season because Hayes is always making changes. And I don't imagine that, She's just going to sit on this forever. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think the combination of, of losing Leupold and G kind of getting less game time slash maybe needing to be in combination with, with someone who's like quite defensively robust, which I don't think Sophie Ingle's always been amazing at this season, has kind of made that level of control a lot harder. Um, I don't know if similar to you, Om, uh, because I you know, watch Spanish football and spend time with people who support Barcelona. I think about these things a bit more, but I definitely think, you know, when we're talking about what would it take for Chelsea to progress further in the Champions League, to reach another final, to maybe win the competition, that's definitely the the kind of aspect of our play that I think is really missing because actually watching us last night reminded me a lot of watching Wolfsburg in their first leg against Barcelona. It was just a lot of you know, kind of like punting it into the air all the time. And ultimately, if you're playing against Spurs, like Spurs aren't going to break you down. So it doesn't really matter if you're just going to like boot it as far as you can, Millie Bright, Jeff Carter style. But when you're going to play against better teams, they're going to be able to take advantage of the fact that you're constantly giving the ball back to them, that you're constantly inviting pressure on. And, you know, I think for me, that is still a bit of a, a question mark, I guess, over this team and, and maybe of Hayes in general about whether it's possible for her to kind of take that to to the next level. I think there are, you know, she has had Chelsea teams where she has been able to do that, but definitely, you know, with the number of attacking players that are within this squad, it's definitely easier to, to lean away from that. And I think it'll be really interesting to see if, you know, if we are able to be in the transfer market, which I hope we will be, um, if this, you know, ownership stuff gets, gets sorted out soon, but, you know, to, that to me, that kind of midfield control position is a really important one for us to to go after kind of along with those, I think both fullback positions as well will need to be looked at too. So, you know, I think it'll be, we'll probably learn a lot about how much Hayes believes that she wants to maybe do that from the profile of people she, she does sign if she is to able to sign, to sign anyone. Um, but that's one for next season. I think it'll be interesting to see over the summer. Uh, finally, let's move away from the, from the game um, and have a quick chat about Sam Kerr. Uh, she obviously scored the winner last night. It was her 18th goal of the season. And then today she was named the Football Writers Association Player of the Year. Um, she got 40% of the vote ahead of Miedema in second place and Lauren Hemp in third. It was kind of an interesting one this year. Uh, this was the first time the Football Writers Association opened the Women's Footballer of the Year to just their entire membership to vote on rather than having it as an expert panel. Uh, I think, you know, it's hard off, off one um one award to see what that kind of looks like I feel like I'm you know naturally I think the selection of Kerr, Miedemar and Hemp suggests that maybe there's a bit of a big name bias but you get that with all awards to be honest so uh yeah Catherine I don't know like what you make just generally of, of them opening the voting up and then you know also Sam Kerr winning the award 
Yeah, I think I can see what you're, you're saying there. I think it, it kind of applies to sort of men's football sometimes at times as well. Um, obviously, there are certain journalists that watch women's football week in, week out, and then some that maybe come in, dip in, dip out, see sort of maybe who scores. It's easy to look at kind of stats, and that's maybe where defenders get overlooked. And I was actually asked to pick my three players of the year this season, and I was really struggling to pick a defender because... I could think of a few defenders that have all had really good seasons, but I was thinking who's who's been the best, and I, I couldn't kind of put my finger on one person that's you know, head and shoulders above someone else. Like you've kind of got Vak and, and Diaz in the men's game, they're kind of you know quite far ahead. I was trying to pick out a defender, and in the end, I just couldn't. I couldn't pick one and settle on one. I had Millie Bright in there at one point, and then took her out because I didn't want to have two Chelsea players in, and then I, I switched it around several times, and in the end, I didn't even put Miedemar in because it felt like even though she's had a good season, she's just not quite been at that that level that we've seen in the past. And that level that we've seen in the past is brilliant. So if we'd not seen that, she probably would have been in. But because we've got so much high expectations of her, it in a weird way feels like she's not, you know, kind of had as good of a season, even though she's still been brilliant. Um, I, I had Kerr as my first choice just because of um, the importance to Chelsea. I think I kind of measured my picks on players that have been you know crucial and you look at you know Kirby she was brilliant in the first part of the season but recently obviously not been available hard has been in out of the team England's been injured sometimes Kerr has been a constant apart from that brief period when she went to the Asia Cup a big player for the big occasions you think of the goals against Aston Villa right in the last minute that's you know it was a massive goal the two against Tottenham, the FA Cup final, she was just, I think, one of the best performances I've seen all, all season from, from an individual. So I just think she's just kind of had that little bit extra and if obviously Chelsea do go on to win the title, her goals have played, you know, a big part in that. And I could, you know, kind of see, I had again, I had Hemp in my top three and I can kind of see why other people just because early part of the season, Manchester City were just struggling so much and she was the one kind of sold spark who wasn't injured, that was playing well, but didn't kind of have the people around her to, you know, you know, help her almost, you know, she was creating chances and people weren't finishing them off. And, um, you know, she's a player that's going to get, you know, even better as well. But um, it's difficult, as I say, I think in awards, defenders always get overlooked, unfortunately, and goalkeepers as well. Um, it's easy to look at the stats of goals and assists and chances created, you know, looking at tackles and, and stuff like that is harder to judge unless you're watching a team week in, week out, because obviously you kind of change which teams you're watching. So some teams you've seen more of and some teams you've seen less of. But um, I think Kerr was a worthy winner, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, she definitely has the stats to to back it up. Uh, this from Opta. Sam Kerr scored 18 goals and provided four assists in 18 appearances in the WSL this season. Of the 274 players to have appeared in the competition this term, she is the only one with more goal involvements than games played in 22 to 18. Uh, it is ridiculous. You know, I think if she hadn't gone to the Asian Cup, I think she actually didn't, we'll get onto this maybe in a minute, but I didn't think she actually didn't miss that many games. But um, you do wonder whether she would have gone through Viv's record for, for most goals in the season. I mean, I guess she could still do it if we go wild against Birmingham and United, who are both teams we have the ability, I think, to go wild against. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it, it kind of came as a surprise to me, maybe just because she scored like that last season and obviously Fran got all of the plaudits kind of understandably. Um, but yeah, she, she's just so consistent as well. It's a bit like maybe the Miedemar effect there too, that when you just expect that level, you, you stop thinking it, it's fantastic. Um, I mean, I thought this quote from Karen Carney on Sky was interesting. Karen Carney was saying, the one criticism I have about Kerr is that she should be scoring more. She has so many opportunities and probably isn't as clinical, but she is the difference. If Chelsea didn't have her, they wouldn't win the title. Um, she scored 18 off an XG of 13.9 this season. So it seems a little harsh to me. Um, Om, I don't know. I don't know what you think. Do you think Sam Kerr should score more goals? This is the most frustrating criticism of Sam Kerr that I hear. And it never seems to go away. And this is, this is like I have the way people discuss finishing in general, right? Because you're talking about a huge sample size of shots that you have to take into account right, which is what XG does, that that's the value of it, right? The location, the type of finish, et cetera, et cetera, all these contextual factors. And all people do is they remember five chances in their head, right? Not even that well. And they're like, well, Sam Kerr missed that one versus one. 
And because of that, I'm going to make this judgment that she's not a clinical finisher. And once that's on a player, it's very hard for them to get rid of that, no matter what evidence, you know, comes in the future afterwards, right? This is, I mean, Spanish fans, like, have another reason for disliking Kerr, and it has a lot to do with that, you know, rather innocuous tweet, I think, about Barcelona, but (laughs) that really riled them up. Um, But that's been a criticism they were throwing at her all of last season. And then I just went and looked at the XG and she's like, there are only like three other players in the WSL who are overperforming their XG more than her. It doesn't make any sense. And then this figure, I think, is even better than it was last season. She's just a player that creates so many chances with her movement that she's going to miss a ton of chances. That's just the nature of being an elite goal scorer, right? You're going to miss more than you score. But when you compare her relative to everyone else, to the average striker, she scores more than more than most and actually has an elite finishing rate. So yeah, it's not really a weakness in her game for me, at least not for the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think it is either. I think the nature of the, I don't think she is a great 1v1 finisher. I, that's just not really, I think, where her skill set lies. Um, but I think the nature of missing those chances makes people remember them in a, in a very obvious way. Um, you know, whereas someone like Frank Kirby, I would have her to run through 1v1 if she had to like, score to save my life to be honest but I would not do that with Samka but yeah I think she creates you know the the number of headers she scores which are just you know kind of just from these like ridiculous scenarios but I think because they're headers people are just like oh you you just nod nod it in and I'm like it's not easy like when you're like moving like that um just to like constantly be putting it past the goalkeeper so yeah I think I think she's a, a ridiculously good finisher I think she's probably the best finisher I've ever watched it in a Chelsea shirt, to be honest, because it is just so consistent. Um, so yeah, uh, props to Sam. Um, well-deserved. I'm sure that probably won't be the last award uh, she picks up this, this year. Hopefully there'll be, well, I think there'll certainly be a golden boot. I think she's five clear of Viv at this point. Uh, so barring Viv going mad in, in their last three games, she should get that one for the second year in a row. So that kind of brings us to the end we have three more games of the season, two in the WSL. So we've got Birmingham on Sunday at the 6.45 kickoff and then United uh, on Sunday, the 8th of May, 12 o'clock kickoff um, everywhere. Uh, that one's at Kings Meadow. So I think there are a couple of tickets still left. If you haven't got a ticket and you're around, you should definitely come down because I think it's going to be a pretty mad day, <laughs> whatever happens. You know, I-, I was just thinking about this, like, it's totally wild. This could be the third consecutive league we win, but it will be the first one that anyone's going to be there to see it, which is just like totally, totally bonkers. Um, Arsenal, meanwhile, they have a, a game in hand over us at the moment. So they've got Villa on Sunday at 2.15. I'm going to go to that. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Uh, Spurs midweek, I'm going to go to that too. Um, and then they've got West Ham on the final final day of the season. Uh, there's a bit of a tasty quote that I'm just going to throw in uh, that Tim Stillman got off of Arsenal's uh, press conference today where Jonas Idevel said, I didn't focus on Chelsea when they were arranging their fixtures in January so that Sam Kerr didn't have to miss games due to the Asia Cup and I don't focus on them now. I don't know what where Idevel's getting this from, but unless we manipulated Everton and Spurs to get covid in their camps which i mean fair play to emma if that's like the level of bio warfare she's like going through it's it's not really what happened uh but yeah Catherine, it's a bit of a weird quote right i think he's just like trying to be spicy because that's kind of what he's like but just generally what do you kind of make of these final couple of games where where do you think the the title's going do you think chelsea are going to hold on uh, an unbiased opinion <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm quite enjoying this kind of Jonas Eideval, Emma Hayes kind of throwing comments, throwing a little bit of shade, but not sort of like really kind of focusing on actually calling each other out, just sort of little, little, you know, throwing little comments in. I'm quite enjoying um, how that's developing and hopefully we'll see a bit more of that next season as well. Um, I think I've always been of the opinion that Chelsea had just that final game being Manchester United and knowing they'll probably need something if they want to finish third. I think it would have been tougher if they'd still been third. We expect Man City to probably be third if they win that game in hand um, against Birmingham and assuming they win at the weekend as well. Um, Arsenal's running is not 
particularly, you know, easy either. Um, Villa, we saw them get a point at, at United. Um, you would still expect Arsenal to win. Tottenham will really want to spoil the party. Um, well, you know, if you can say that when Arsenal are second, but that could, you know, um, possibly affect things there as well. So um, that's a tough one. And West Ham are no pushovers either. Again, they've maybe dropped off a little bit in the last few weeks going out the FA Cup, not having too much to play for, but they're still a tricky side. And again, when you get to this point in the season, those clubs that haven't necessarily got anything to play for, they just kind of, sometimes they just want to spoil, you know, spoil things or, or go and upset, upset um, teams. And you've got two London clubs there, Arsenal, which are, you know, definitely going to want to take points off them. But I think I expect Chelsea to beat Birmingham and then I, I expect them to get the job done on the final day um, because they've been there and done it. And I think Arsenal... While they've got players that have won titles in the squad, I think this, as a, as this current squad that they are, still yet to win anything and still yet to win anything under Jonas as well. Um, I, I'd be more, I'd expect them more to maybe slip up in a game and maybe drop drop points, maybe draw against a Aston Villa or Tottenham than I would expect Chelsea to drop points from the next two. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's why I find Jonas's comments a bit bizarre, just because I feel like. There's such a positive spin to be put on what Arsenal have done this season, given that he's come in as a new manager, given that, you know, they are going through a squad rebuild. I don't really understand why it becomes, excuse the pun, catty, um, but it just feels like he could make this sound a lot better than it was. But hey, hey, uh, good for him. Uh, Om, do you have any any final thoughts as we head into the final two, three games of the season? No, just that when Arsenal were ahead, in the league table and they had that like really early victory over Chelsea. Everyone was like, Arsenal's going to win the league. I always said it was going to be Chelsea, not, you know, to, to, I guess, get goodwill on this podcast or anything. <laughs> I just felt, I just felt that Chelsea were better. Right. I, I just think they had the better players. And I felt like it was too early at that point to judge where Chelsea were in that season. They didn't quite reach the heights that I thought they were going to. I think there was a little bit of regression compared to last season, but I need Chelsea to win so I don't look bad is, is my takeaway because I very early on I decided nope Chelsea were going to win the league title so we'll see. Well thanks for your support I also need Chelsea to win so I don't look bad that is my day-to-day life I find um, but thank you Catherine and Om for, for joining me on the, the podcast um, yeah Blues fans it's really exciting last couple of games if you can get down to support the girls uh, I really recommend it um, whether it's FA Cup final, whether it's at Kings Meadow. Um, we'll be back, obviously, to, to talk through the, the Birmingham game next week. But until then, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>